Welcome to F3 American Yammer, the podcast where men from across the F3 nation get real, get vulnerable, and share their stories as they've grown from sad clowns to high-impact men. I'm your host, Short Circuit, and each week I'm joined by another member of F3 who is willing to step out, be vulnerable, and share his story with the F3 nation. So, without further ado, here's today's show. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of F3 American Yammer. I am your host, the shortest of all possible circuits. No circuits are shorter than me. And joining me all the way from Cape Fear, I'm very happy to have Hoff on the podcast. So welcome, Hoff. Thanks, sir. In the house. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Awesome. Well, quick disclaimer. I want to give a shout out real quick to Gilligan, um, F3 Greensboro's Gilligan. I don't know if there are other Gilligans out there, but uh, our Gilligan, just because he was the one who uh, put your name in the hat and I I happened to, to pull it out. Um, so T claps to him. I'm very grateful that he was able to, to set this up. And uh, I know you and I, if anybody listening is not going to know the amount of trouble and hell that we had to go through <laughs> just to be able to get to this moment. Maelstrom, I'd say, just craziness. Yeah. But you know, it will probably come as no surprise to most of the nation that Hoff is IT challenge. So the great gift here, Short Circuit, is that people are going to be thinking it was the Hoff. It wasn't short, short circuit. I can guarantee <laughs> that. So um, you owe me. So I'll, <laughs> I'll take that bullet for you, brother. But, oh, I, mean, man, I mean, that's the way it's going to, that's what they're going to call it. I can hear it now. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you for taking that bullet. I appreciate it. There you go, brother. <laughs> All right. So name Arama, name HF3 name. Yeah. So uh, David Fredrickson, uh, a proud 49, and my F3 name is Hasselhoff. Um, I've had that abridged to um, Hoff and then had an article put in front of it. So hence the Hoff. So probably a few packs have that kind of uh, nomenclature, but um, the Hoff will do. Yeah, that's how people will uh, mostly recognize me. There you go. So you're a, you're a pre-spec'd guy then. You're, you're coming up on... Coming up on the big five zero. Yeah, I I am. It'll be May, and mentally, I'm still in my late teens, early twenties. I guess maybe sometimes in my behavior too. But um, I, I I don't, you know. Sometimes I'll I'll go to do things physically. They don't happen quite as quickly, and you know, you don't recover on the other side as quickly. But I just still have that, you know, attitude that that mindset that you know I can still do stuff. Um, so, but it is interesting to think about a half century, 50 years, and you look around at your peers and how they're aging and people's ability levels. So I'm just really blessed and grateful that I can continue to do and perform the way I do. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about how long you've been at Cape Fear PAX. How long have you been involved with F3? Yeah, so it goes back to um, June 2014. So almost six years now. So um, wow. feels just like yesterday, but it's been it's been quite a while. Gotcha. So you've you've had a chance then. I mean, six years that's that's non negligible. You've had a chance to see Cape Fear grow. Has it been pretty pretty astounding on how it's F three has sort of moved through the community where you're at? It has indeed, and um, I think our area was you know ripe for it. I remember there was kind of a center mass or a concentration of guys who first came out. That's probably not unusual throughout the nation. Um, And then, you know, you get enthusiasm and then, you know, you want to grow it, but you kind of plateau and then you have to kind of redouble your efforts, rededicate yourself to that growth, um, you know, to to get the gains that you want. So it's been interesting to watch kind of incrementally. So but I can still remember those thresholds where guys were coming out and working out and we had a nice cozy group. And then, you know, like our, our mission is to, to plant, serve, and grow, we wanted to expand. So how does that conversation start? Who's going to do it? What tools and tactics do we do to do it? So um, it's been interesting. So it, it seems like a rush, but it still it still seems fresh every morning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, now where do you typically post within Cape Fear there? And, and how often are you kind of like a five, <clears throat> five times a week guy or uh, you diminish uh, it? No, I used to be... Um, I'd like to be still there, but a few more things kind of come into the picture that require some 
some, you know, um, scheduling and just some demands in the morning. But um, so we used to live downtown and it was easy to get over to Hugh McRae Park, um, which was kind of the the uh, original AO. Um, and then downtown was really accessible to the battleship. Um, but then we moved from a very old home to a very new home in the southern part of the county. So that brings me out to Carolina Beach. So now I'm at um, Veterans Park, Screaming Eagle. And then on the weekends, um, Iron Island, which is out on Carolina Beach, the the island proper. So, um, you know, I've kind of gotten around the, the county, so to speak. I've had the benefit of seeing both sides. Gotcha. And how often do you do that during the week? Is it like three or four times? Yeah. I mean, maybe two or three right now. Um, I, I, we did a big hundred miler, um, a bunch of us from the Cape Fear back in like March. Wow. My attendance has been kind of sporadic, had some stuff going on over the summer and some family stuff. So it's just been kind of funky, but I've just now kind of reestablished with the fall, kind of getting back to the guys and being a little bit more um, uh, regular. We also have a group, a small group of us that run, and um, it may come as a shock to the nation that most guys in F3 don't like to run. However, <laughs> there are a few who do. Um, so we'll kind of segment off and, and meet up somewhere else, uh, not somewhere else, but we'll meet in another area, uh, because that's what we'll be doing. So, Mm -hmm. um, um, it's, it's hard to get away from those guys. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, cool. Now guys know where to find you too. So if they want to come and yeah, thanks for sharing your story. Now they know where to find you, right? Yeah. Whether you want that traditional workout or you want to come and, and um, let's say, uh, let's say uh, uh, an inspired mosey, uh, <laughs> and then you certainly find us. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, let's jump into the, the, the real heart of this thing. Let's talk about life before F3. Sure. So what did fitness look like for you, um, not only growing up, but then, you know, as you got older, went through college, things like that, how did, how did you sort of interpret fitness and what did it look like kind of leading all the way up, right up until that first workout? Yeah, so I um I would say that probably growing up I was a you know slightly above average athlete. Um I had the benefit of going to a really great school, middle and high, uh, and got to see some folks who were teachers who were into the early endurance sport movement. So I can think of in particular an English teacher I had and um she was a marathoner and then um, a chemistry teacher I had, and he was one of the early triathletes. So um, I knew that, you know, athleticism and, 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 and athleticism plus people who did these kinds of things were out there. Um, and then combine that with um, high school soccer, rowing, wrestling, ice hockey, um, and, and cross country. Um, so I was able to really kind of hone some of those early athletic abilities, um, and individuated myself. I think I was all league in soccer and, you know, was on a select team for hockey. And so kind of showed signs that I would probably do more in my athletic life and was able to do it. Um, coming up through college, I did not participate in any organized sports but I carried the running from my high school years over into college. I think by that time it was probably mostly anxiety driven. Um, and it was a way to kind of manage college life. Um, so I was able to carry over the running into my college years that I'd established in high school. But I think probably at that point it was more anxiety driven in a way to kind of manage all the expectations and demands um, of college. And then I had good fortune to run into some guys from the Citadel, which is the military Academy of South Carolina, when I was down attending the college of Charleston, um, and began working out with them. And it was a very small, tight knit group of guys. And I would say that's really where I came into my own as an athlete. Um, I would see these guys come in from like 50 mile bike rides and immediately begin a 45 minute hour PT session, or we'd swim or we'd run around the parade deck or we'd go through the obstacle course. 
And these guys were just, they were just incredible and you could not want to be like them. So um, I would say that's really where I kind of started coming into that endurance community. Though it was probably more of a military athletic environment. There were um, exercises specific to a, a career one would have in the military, but I would say that they were very good ones because they focused on core, back, um, you know, cardiovascular. You weren't pushing heavy weight. It was body weight, high reps, um, and really a very functional kind of style of exercise. So um, maybe similar to gymnastics. So that's really kind of what launched me. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like you had quite a bit in the background there. I mean, you mentioned a lot of, a lot of different sports, right? Soccer, wrestling, hockey. Um, and then it, it, your theme kind of that you talked about right there was really uh, more on the endurance side of things, it sounds like. So really kind of taking up the the knack for more endurance-based sports um, or physical activity that required a higher level of endurance than just say only only running for 45 minutes or only playing soccer for an hour and a half, whatever the case may be. Yeah, indeed. And um, I, I think I started, it started to appeal to me in a different way. Certainly the dopamine rush and all kind of the, the, the things physical that go along, the physiologic changes that happen when you do that. Um, but I was becoming increasingly aware that there was another space one could enter um, through endurance sports. So whether you call it breaking through the wall or you know, opening doors or whatever you want to call it. I don't think there was that kind of lexicon back then. Mm. Um, but, but that's kind of the shape it was starting to take. Gotcha. Okay. So that tells us a little bit about the fitness background and, and where you were coming kind of before F3. Let's talk about the fellowship piece. So what was kind of the nature of your relationships? What did, what did fellowship really mean to you? Or how did you um, really connect with people before F3? Yeah. So, um, you know, I had, um, you know, guy friends, you know, when you get married and have children, you kind of go where your kids go. And so that was school. So there would be, you know, fathers of children that I would know. Um, and we would hang out. Um, I tried to start a book club for the, express purpose of building community among men. Um, I've always been very social and kind of on the outreach end and having been raised in the church, community was always important. So I thought there's got to be a, a way to get these guys together and get to get to know one another kind of more intimately. So, um, but the book club, while it was great and we had a lot of high-minded folks, <clears throat> it just kind of missed something that kept us from really adhering to one another. Um, and I think our book club went, you know, more quickly to a drinking club and that was not helpful. I think for a number of reasons, you know, as the guy leading it, I don't think I was able to be as authentic as I wanted to. So I used the alcohol and some of the traditional techniques of men befriending other men as kind of a concealment. So I don't think at that time I was able to be really who I was. So, uh, as anybody in the nation will tell you from leading a queue or leading some kind of event, you really got to be you to lead people and to have them follow you. And I just don't think I was that person. So it was really hard to kind of keep arms around that group. Um, I had an editorial venture soon after that tried to achieve the, the same thing. It was kind of a local GQ magazine. Uh, I'm a writer. And so I launched a magazine called Men Inc. And it was, you know, culture, politics style, guys talking about their lives, single guys, married guys. Um, so but with um, with magazine, the magazine trade being what it was, we had a very short, short life uh, shelf life. Um, pardon me. Um, and I don't think that message really took in this area either. So it was really disappointing because we were starting to get some good conversations going. We were having events. We were having guys reach over across the fence and meet other guys and really being vulnerable. Um, but it, it just didn't last. So, so after those two kind of endeavors, the book club and then the men's magazine, I still craved um, to be with a group of guys. Now, I will say that 
one relationship I had outside either of those two, though this gentleman did support me in those two, was with Dave Summerfield, who's a F3 Cape Fear Pax. Uh, and his F3 name is Epo. And we had daughters at the same school. Uh, we kind of see one another on the playground, nod to one another. Uh, we both learned we were both endurance athletes. And so we struck up a very fast friendship and we got very close very quickly. Um, he was prior military. I'd spent some time in the military. So that connection was very fast and, and ignited. So that was really the only relationship that that really stuck where I really achieved the kind of closeness with another um, guy that I wanted. And F3, when F3 came along, it seemed so natural that that Dave, a.k.a. Epo and I, would move into that format. Um, so that was really the only friendship I had that that was really sticking and, and speaking to me. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so it sounds like more than anything, despite all of the attempts at you know, the the book club, the editorial venture, um, all of these different things that you're trying to do that are attempting to sort of bring in that that sense of camaraderie and fellowship, you ultimately did, as you as you pointed out, you ultimately walked away with with one really good friend who, as it turns out, not only is involved with F three but is still your friend today, and that's Epo. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, and and. It's interesting because we teased before there was F3, there was F2, which was, you know, Dave and I, because we were the only two who really knew, you know, folks like us who did what we did. We didn't have to explain to one another. We were willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go around at Carolina Beach or, you know, you'd say the word like PT or something like that. And, you know, you knew what he was thinking or, you know, you didn't have to explain. So yeah, that was really the the silver lining of, of some, some kind of, um, you know, um, false starts or, you know, um, you know, kind of launches um, early on to, to try to get what, what I've now been able to experience through F3. That's awesome. All right. And let's talk about the faith piece as well. So we know about, your background in fitness and where you come from in that. We know about your attempts at fellowship through the book club and the editorial venture, but uh, you know, you're, you're sort of one lingering, but good friendship with EPO. And now let's talk about the, the third F piece. And again, this is open really to interpretation, but um, talking specifically um, or not really specifically, but more generally about, you know, how did you view the world in regards to something something bigger than yourself or what community impact looked like or um, whether that was tied in or not to uh, your personal faith systems? What did, what did faith look like to you uh, before F3? Yeah, so um, my situation is a little unique. My father is an Episcopal priest, so I grew up in the church and... Um, we were a clergy family, of course, and we moved around a fair bit, always to large churches in the Midwest and the South. Uh, my father came of age in seminary where young seminarians saw the gospel as a social parody vehicle. They saw gospel as something that could be lived out socially to change people's lives instead of just something read from the pulpit. So, which is to say that uh, community was big in our family and diversity was, tolerance was. Um, I can remember with my dad marching, you know, and, and peace marches and rallies uh, as an early child. I have a twin brother. So we were, we were you know, part and parcel of, of that with him on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and I can remember all different kinds of people. So whether it was black, white, straight, gay, um, corporate, uh, non-corporate, um, all just kinds of walks of life. So I really celebrated that and, you know, can't say enough about how that experience shaped me. So I think community was probably, and building community was probably the most important part of my faith and seeing that realized in the church setting I was. My, my father was really good at it. So I'd say that was probably the most visible and demonstrable part of my faith, just being around people and being around different people and, and, and learning to love them. Um, <clears throat> so 
then I become a father. And, you know, this is after the slings and arrows of having moved around and you get a little beat up in the clergy family. Um, you know, people have their issues and they don't always say nice things about your dad. But I knew that faith was important to me and my wife, who I knew from many decades before at a church we had served. It was important to hers as well, uh, important to her. And we met at a um, at a an Episcopal camp here on the um, on the Cape Fear coast uh, up near Atlantic Beach. Um, she had gone there. I'd gone to a Episcopal summer camp in Western North Carolina. So it was very clear in our courtship and the way we were with one another that that was a central focus. Then you have children and it was our feeling. We, we wanted them to be church too. We wanted them to be, you know, um, to be in the church. So you have the baptism and, and you start going Sundays. Um, so it's really trying, kind of trying to, to shape help shape their experience and give them our experiences and let them begin to kind of shape their own religious or spiritual life and be kind of more of the guide on the side than the sage on the stage. I don't think I ever want to be like that. Having come from a clergy family, like I'm not here to tell anybody what to do, uh, but to kind of coach. <clears throat> and I would say in recent years, um, I've gone a little bit more Eastern in my, um, spiritual beliefs, uh, perhaps a more Buddhist angle uh, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which are some mental health issues, uh, to learn to be present, um, to learn to manage fear and anxiety, um, to know that there's a larger continuity of life, um, you know, that, that we all seek. Um, and to find you know some meaning in those quarters, and that's coupled with yoga, which is very restorative and healing for me. So it's not to deny that there's not the Judeo-Christian God, but I think they work symbiotically. So I can believe in God, but I can also have a strong interest in 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 the Buddhist practice. So, and in many ways, the Episcopal faith and the the Buddhist faith work very well as companions. So they they both seem very native to me. I think it was just a matter of time until I found Buddhism. So. That's kind of where I am today. My wife and I serve as youth leaders at our Episcopal church. Um, and then, you know, I go to the temple over on Gordon Road, the Buddhist temple. And my wife and I are both practitioners of, of yoga. So that's kind of that kind of paints the scene where we are religiously right now. All right. So definitely it sounds like you, know, you, you had a strong background within faith and it sounds like that's that's transcended through even even effectively kind of through f3 if you will um oh, yeah. you know definitely some of the things that you brought up talking about how learning to love people through all walks of life and learning how to build community i mean those are those are huge things that speak not only to the volume of something greater than yourself but directly into the the area of community impact and and i absolutely love what you said you'd rather be the guide on the side rather than the sage the sage on the stage yeah. uh, there's a big shoe to fill i saw my dad do it and i just don't think it's a paradigm that works anymore i mean maybe in some extreme circumstances but um but yeah it's kind of I've learned, I've had to learn that too. You know, as a Type A guy, you always want to be the one out front, charging forward, telling people how to do. But you know, often I think sometimes it's that guiding touch on the side that that gets people to where they're going. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so that that paints the picture then for us of of what of what the Hoff was like before F3. So we know that you have these endurance sports in your background, other than just lots of sports in general, but those endurance, um, endurance events, if you will, um, coming from a place of attempting to really find friendship and fellowship, not really finding it through the ventures that you were going through, uh, the book club, which you mentioned turned into the drinking club there, but mm -hmm. your yep. one solid friend in EPO, which definitely mm -hmm. helped to, it sounds like, catalyst forward uh, the, the movement within F3 or into F3. And then finally, mm -hmm. the, the really strong faith background, focusing on that sense of community and building community and learning to love people and, and um, kind of the incorporation, if you will, of your faith with other, um, effectively other faiths and um, learning, you know, how to, how it creates that symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Um, just as a disclaimer, you know, to this day, I don't know how to throw a, a football or a baseball, but I damn sure can run a hundred miles. So just saying, you know, 
I have a, I'm a, I'm a little bit unorthodox in, um, in the parts that put me together. But yes, I would say that's a very accurate, very thoughtful, and if not poetic kind of summation of um, Hoff from year one to his, his present being. And it's nice to hear that. Um, it means I'm communicating with you and you're listening to me, which which is certainly one theme we also have in F3. So um, thank you for that short, short circuit. Oh, you got it, brother. All right, so let's t- let's talk about that first workout then. So first off, um, who who eh'd you? Is there is there a specific culprit? Was it Epo? You know, it was Perry Allen, who I I also kind of uh, I cannot neglect. Um, he was one of my closest too, and was actually uh, you know in my book club. And Epo was of course, but but um, I think Perry showed early interest in a format like F three because. Um, I would occasionally take some guys running after book club and Perry was the first one to raise his hand. So um, Perry Allen, you will know him in the Cape Fear as Heisenberg. Um, So he called me one Saturday afternoon. Um, You know, we'd been in the book club together and he said, David, I, there's this workout group in town and man, they remind me a lot of you. And I know you kind of had your ups and downs of trying to find kind of that male community, but he was like, dude, you've got to get to Hume McCray Park and see this. There you go. So, yeah, that's where it began. So um, it was a call. I didn't know the shape, the size, the scope, the intention, the formality of it or the informality of it. I knew nothing when he called, but I knew it was Friday and they were going to meet tomorrow morning at Saturday. There you go. Now, now who, que- who queued that, that first workout? So it was, it must've been maybe the second or third workout. So um, Chaser and Gandalf came down from Raleigh and they co-queued and it was not unlike, you know, when we send teams, um, you know, to set up new AOs and, and start to evangelize. So they were coming down both to kind of look at our, our organizational um, or try to try to organize us, um, try to operationalize us. Um, but also, take us through what this thing looks like real time. Gotcha. Okay. And now what, what do you, what, what really stood out to you? Cause I know you mentioned that Heisenberg kind of approached you from that perspective of man, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get involved with this. It's going to, it's going to hit all of those, those markers for you that you've been looking for from a, uh, from a fellowship yeah. perspective. What do you remember from that workout that really stood out? So as a writer, I've worked in the ad world and marketing communications. And um, when I showed up, I was impressed by the branding. I mean, you can have a bunch of guys show up in the park and work out. But when you have guys show up in the park with tees on that have a very strong visual identity with a very specific font and spatial orientation, and they have a uniform they have a language and they have a culture, which means they have a mission. So I'm kind of doing the math in my head as we're doing the Merkins and squats and stuff like that. And I'm trying to add this up and I'm like, okay, so, so where does this come from? Who's sustaining this? You know, who ultimately owns this? Who's in charge? So I knew it was something bigger than just a bunch of dudes showing up to work out in the park. So I would say the branding and all those different kind of cultural dimensions that speak to um, a way of being were present. So that's what kind of instantly took me aback. Gotcha. And now how did you get Hoff? How did, how did that come about? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'd had a few beers that Friday night when Perry called. Um, so I was a little sluggish the next morning uh, which rarely ever happens. <laughs> um, and so I, I was late and I was like, oh man. So I grabbed a pair of uh, board shorts for those of you who are landlocked, uh, surfboard shorts. So they're the swim trunks. Um, got them on. Uh, shirtless, of course. How else does Hoff go? Uh, ran over to the park, um, had a little bit longer hair. And um, joined the boys for a workout, and we got to COT where we were doing, you know, friendly new guy and Namorama. And um, obviously, there were some packs there who had, had preceded me by a couple of Saturdays, so they had their names. Um, but I believe it was Gandalf looked at me, and before I could say anything about me, he just said, 
Hasselhoff. You're Hasselhoff. And I was like, of course, yes, I am. So it just kind of fit. Um, you know, I was probably a little sun kissed from the beach prior in the week and, you know, maybe had that surf attitude going on. So, um, you know, it just kind of stuck. So just very naturally. So he named me. There you go. All right. Well, we'll have to thank uh, Gandalf from Raleigh for, uh, throwing for throwing that name it sounds like it was pretty much a setup with sun-kissed face and board board shorts and no shirt you know i mean come on i'm the hoff (laughs) and please no please do corroborate with that with the chaser and gandalf because it it was one of them so um but but i do i remember that just distinctly i mean it was it was it was certainly a a christening or baptism of sorts hey what is another part of culture. I mean, it's a rite of passage. So mm. if you're looking at that kind of, it's another cultural way of bringing people into F3 is to give them a new name to make them reborn. So um, that was another thing that impressed. So everybody got a new name. So um, that was, um, that will always be memorable to me. That's awesome. And since I have to ask, uh, I'm sure with your love of endurance sports and running, you probably didn't splash Merlot, but did you splash Merlot? I did not, sir. But I saw somebody who did. <laughs> there's a lot of pine trees out at Humacray Park. And I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say there's some boys over there spending a little bit too much time, you know, behind those pines, I think, to save a little face. But uh, I'm pretty sure there was a dude there. Um, you know, it was like it was June, you know, down here on the coast. And, you know, it must have been probably about 85 degrees. So, um, you know, all the conditions were there for for somebody to to have that happen too. So that's great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for, for sharing that story. And that's awesome to hear that, you know, you, you come, you come into this thing thinking, Oh, well, it's, you know, here's just some guys workout group, but you brought up an interesting point and that is the branding, right. And the, the branding, uh, and and not only that, but the language, uh, counting cadence, everything about that speaks to a specific culture. And, and as you pointed out, which is something I'd never thought about before, it speaks to a mission, right? And uh, the missionality of, of everything uh, that F3 really focuses on. And that's, that's really incredible. And I think I try to, you know, I tried to maybe have some of those, you know, try to build those missions into my previous endeavors, but they may have been a little foggy and they may have been, you know, a little less than accurate. And um, I didn't have those, those underpinnings, to, 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 to make it, make it, you know, be mission sustainable. But, but yeah, I knew as soon as those things were in place and then they even had a text, which we know from all cultures, they have a text that, you know, usually intertwined in this, you know, uh, the belief in something bigger than oneself um, that, that speaks to a certain experience that uses a certain language. So when free to lead came on the scene, I was like, Oh my gosh, they've even got a book. And as somebody who's literary minded and um, a writer, I appreciated that too. So um, that kind of sealed the deal and everybody was on message together. Everybody had the same message. There was no miscommunication. There was no, I'm here for this. You're here for that. I mean, I think we may vary and have some nuances in why we're at F3, but by and large, the message and, and the message, uh, message and the mission are the same. So, um, indeed, uh, that you you know, voila, you have a culture now. Whether you know, um, uh, Dread and OBT had that in mind, I would think that they did because they're very high-minded. Um, they know. I think. That, I think you know. They know what what needed to happen to make a group of guys stick together. Um, and I think they're just erudite enough that they knew, you know, what makes a tribe and for us to do this, we've got to put these pieces in place. So, um, bravo, they did, you know, an outstanding job. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk now life since F3. We, we talked before about where you were on, on the three F pieces. Um, <clears throat> it didn't sound too much from a fitness or faith perspective per se that you were too much of a, I guess we'll call it a hashtag sad clown. Um, but definitely the fact that you've continued coming to F3 shows that, that there's something important here. And, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll see that as we can kind of continue on. But from a fitness perspective, how has your fitness been impacted from F3? You know, um, it, it, it has been leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I think I probably could have run 50 miles and then most recently this spring, 100 miles. 
but I couldn't have done it with the same dimension and the same intensity and the same spiritualness without having F3 in my life and without having my F3 brothers, Epo, Sir Mix, um, Johnny Gage, Sloppy Joe with me running like a band of brothers. Like it just wouldn't have been the same. So if you ask, did you ever think you could do it? Yeah, probably in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, I can probably do that. But it would have never compared if it hadn't been in the setting of F3. It would not have been an experience. It would have just been an event. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference when you show up to each of those things. And, um, you know, F3 allows us to to show up for an experience. Because let's face it, if you've been in F3 for a number of years, as long as I have, and you're just showing up for the workout, then maybe you need to take a knee for a while and rethink that. Because I personally, while I like to put the hammer down, any of the dudes in the nation will tell you this, I like to be out front. I don't come there for the fitness anymore. I don't come there for the workout anymore. I don't care how many push-ups you can do. I don't care what we're doing. We could sit around. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that we're together as a fellowship. It's almost like the tide of the workout has receded and what has filled its place are those shared common experiences between a group of men I know and I love and I trust who know my heart. So it's almost like the onion. You finally got into that. And it takes a while. I'm not saying it's going to happen next Saturday. It's not going to happen in a month. If you're a new guy, it's going to happen in six months. But I'm telling you, if all you're coming to the post for is the workout, then maybe you need to come off that a little bit and you need to kind of rethink, okay, hey, what is my place here? And, and what are these guys trying to do? Because I'm telling you, the heart of it is fellowship. And, and I think that's what everybody, you know, is guided to. And the faith obviously allows the vulnerability that allows that greater fellowship. Because, right, you're not going to be having a lot of attitude like in front of God or opening up to other men. And faith allows that channel to open. And when that channel opens and every man is doing that, then all those channels come together. So um, the fitness is not the priority anymore. That's great. And, and I think, too, that you hit on something there. Absolutely. Which is it, it's kind of ironic, right, that once you for any guy who is <clears throat> myself included, who has not maintained a good uh, athletic shape or taking good care of his body when he comes out i think there's a natural tendency to want to get to the front so over time yeah. it's oh i need to get to the front and then ironically and and i think this is what you're what you're pointing to as well is that ironically once you get to the front you realize i actually need to be in the back right i need to be i need to work my way back there because in the back that's where you're going to find the, the the greatest sense of purpose in encouraging the guy who's last and so it's, it's no longer about the workout, how many, as you pointed out, how many Merkins you can do, how many squats, how, how far can you run, how fast can you run? It's now about kind of an overall uh, kinesthetic experience about, hey, I'm, you know, being out here and yes, I'm working out. There's, there's an element to that, but there's, there's very much more so. And I have to admit, I was that guy when I first showed up. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to be out there beating my chest. I'm going to be at the front. No one's going to pass me. I'm going to beat somebody down. There were just some bad habits, just some toxicity. Mm. You know, I'd always been kind of a gentle soul, but there was a part of me um, that because of some, some past situations in life, I think I was trying to compensate for, felt I had to prove myself about, um, would do that. And I look back now just in horror. And in fact, one of my closest friends, Chauncey Lambeth, you will know him as last. Um, you know, I remember one moment where I was just not very kind to him in, in a workout. And I just, you know, I can't believe I was ever that way to him. And he doesn't remember it, but I do because I offered a very public apology um, in one of the workouts where he was not there, but I just felt rotten. And, um, you know, that's, um, you know, one could argue that's kind of the warrior side of being male. Yeah, that's in me. 
I think men who gravitate to F3 do have a very distinct warrior side. That's okay. That's why we're together. And that's why we're together in a group when we do this thing at 530 in the morning. But I think there's a certain maturity to that warrior code that happens after a while um, that, that must be done in the context of other men. Um, and you come into a more mature you in those situations. Um, but to your point about being in the six, it's also that willingness to come back for the guy who doesn't have it as easy. I did it the other day. He just said, I can't run up these hills like y'all do. All right, dude. Then I'm coming back. Where are you from? What do you do? Um, and you just wait in the darkness and it's okay. It's okay to be that way. And then the other fellows will come back and they'll get him too. And all, you, you know, before you know it, everybody's really kind of up at the front. So, um, it's the willingness to come back for that man. And I, and I think when we're young men, except in very, um, very, um, you know, extreme situations or callings like the military, where you come back for, for that man, man, no man left behind. You know, we rarely do that because we're, we're trying to smoke the dude next to us, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. I'm going to get some. I'm not going to let him show me up. And I'm damn sure not going to be invulnerable, vulnerable in front of him because if he knows my secrets, he can leverage that. Mm. And he can get over on me. I could possibly even look weak in front of him. I tell you, that's how my, old, my grandfather rolled. He was a big executive with Ford Motor Company. And I remember my dad telling me that. He said, your grandfather always said, never share secrets with another man because he could leverage it against you. And that wasn't something my father did, but I'll never forget that. But, but F3, in fact, encourages you to show that weakness or that vulnerability in your fellow man. In fact, you're going to get to the tip of the spear and you're going to get to the front by doing that. So it's really, it seems kind of anathema and counterintuitive, I think, especially to the young guys. But even as those young guys age a little bit, they'll, they'll begin to see that reason. So, so yeah, that's where I am today. I mean, yeah, it's good to stay in shape, but you know, I mean, I've run a long ways. Like if it were about that, then, then that's what I would continue to be focused on. But, but, you know, showing up in the gloom, um, you know, is, is now about something else. Awesome. Well, definitely encouraging words there. And, and thank you very much for, for sharing all of that Hoff. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Let's talk about, yeah, <clears throat> let's talk about the fellowship piece. So, and, and you'd already alluded to this a little bit before with what you're saying, how has your fellowship been impacted? How has it accelerated and grown through F3? Um, I will say the, my only regret about fellowship in F3 is that I have so much enthusiasm and love for each man that I feel like I feel down on myself because I can't, I can't get to them and communicate to them in the way I'd like to for each man, man, because they're just not enough hours in the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can't, you want to do it all. Like I want, you know, I want to reach out to my boys in Greenville and to, you know, <clears throat> Raleigh and, you know, all the different events I've been at where I've seen F3 men, not, in, you know, not including my own. Um, <clears throat> and I've always thought of what's the most efficient way I can do that. Um, <clears throat> but that's, yeah, that's the only downside of the incredible fellowship of F3 is that you want to share the same enthusiasm and love for your fellow man, but they're just not enough hours in the day. And you kind of kick yourself like, ah, I need to be reaching out to him. Or I remember when he said in COT he needed, or he just didn't look like his usual self today. So um, that's the only downside of it is that you have so many incredible friendships that are so meaningful where you have shared experiences that they're not enough hours in the day to reach out to every man and tell them truly authentically how you feel about them. Mm. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it'd be a full-time job. I wish it were. I mean, you know, it'd be great. I mean, you know, Hoff would be like FTD, man, like notes and flowers. Hoff is known for notes and flowers. You ask people about that. It's probably going to little be a weird question to him. I got another story about you, but before we get out of here, I got to tell you too. But um, I tend to like to couple uh, big sunflowers, um, Red Bulls, and duct tape. And that's my love offering to you is, is that, that, that assembly. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, you want to do that for every man. And, um, you know, recently we had a brother take his life. I don't, I, I'm fairly certain that's public knowledge, but we've kind of begun a, a new with some conversations about, you know, um, mental health and, and emotional health and well-being, and, and, you know, really showing up for that cafeteria um, and really being meaningful and expressing how you feel about your fellow man and offering whatever you can to him. It's taken on a, a new um, kind of a, um, a new dimension I've, I've, I've seen just in the last couple of weeks. Well, that's incredible. Um, definitely your, your, I put down hashtag sunflowers, Red Bull duct tape. It's such a simple thing, but it's so, it's so incredible because it sounds so impacting because it, it's not something that goes, you know, hugely above and beyond like, Hey, let's, let's sit down for the next two hours. Let's, let's drink a coffee. You tell me everything. It's something that's so simple. It tells a guy I'm thinking about you. I love you. I care about you, right? Yeah, it has to be. And, you know, I probably hedge more on the sit down for two hours and bear your heart. But anymore, I'm just like, fuck it, dude. How do I express myself best? This is it. Violence mm. and poetry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what kind of guy I am. That probably startles the nation right now a little bit, but... That's kind of how I deliver. And like, you know, this is this is me and whatever it is we need to talk about. Let's get it out and let's get on with it, because sometimes, you know, modern life can be very paralyzing. And um, I've suffered that, you know, I've kind of alluded to some mental health issues and it's hard to be paralyzed. But when you can wrap something up um, with with meaning and sincerity, that's a true reflection of you and a little laughter, you know, that'll get you going in life again. Absolutely. All right. So to round it out now, you mentioned before from the faith side that you had already kind of built up this, um, you had a strong faith foundation, right? You were working towards understanding what building community was like. You mentioned, um, you know, raising your kids and wanting to, to raise them in, in some kind of a faith background, but to be the, the guide on the side. How has F3 either impacted that or made it grow or changed it in some way for you? How, how has your faith been impacted as a result of F3? Um, it's made me more, believe it or not, coming from an Episcopal faith, I couldn't be any more liberal, but it's made me even more tolerant and liberal of others. So um, folks of different beliefs, um, persuasions, opinions, and we're a very political world now and environment. And um, it's very easy to let political differences or lifestyle differences um, get in the way of learning about each other. But I've been able to um, come together with some gentlemen who are quite different than I am and believe different and, you know, um, may, may be more this or more that. Um, but I'm able to come together with them in a certain stillness and not have my judgment monitor going off or feel I have to defend or explain. Um, they know who I am and I know who they are. And, and the crux of it is, is that I'm going to be with you in those tough times. Like I'm there in the morning in the darkness in the gloom mm -hmm. and everything else just kind of separates out. So I've never once been to an F3 you know, to a post, to an event, anything like that, and see two men in an argument. I've never once seen two dudes going at it or two dudes who can't get along. I mean, you know, we all have, you know, guys who gravitate to a little more in the packs or, you know, in the post or something like that. But I've never seen two guys arguing about who's going to win the next presidency or who makes more or where somebody lives or any of that. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, and that's something you, you want to look for, you know, when you join a, a company of, of anybody is, you know, what's the conflict level like? Like, that'll tell you something right there. And I, you know, I was kind of, I came from a family of origin where there was a lot of conflict. I mean, so for me, it's just been, you know, where I was starting conflict. And for me, it's just been so um, healing and restful and restorative to come to an environment where either I'm not getting into it with somebody 
or somebody's not coming at me getting into it, or I'm not trying to kind of profile them and say they, them. <laughs> well, who are they and them? Let's have a little conversation about that. It's a we, isn't it? Aren't mm -hmm. we a team? And I wouldn't have used this language probably 10 or 15 years ago, short circuit. And in, in, in recent years, over the six years, F3 has, has done that for me. It's gone from a they and them to a we and us. That's incredible. It is, man. It's been completely. And you ask, you ask my wife, Julie, she'll tell you the same thing. I was very divisive. I mean, I'm ashamed. But I think, you know, we all have those moments and those forces and those people who come along in our life. And we're just ready at a certain moment to accept that. And we're willing to accept voices that are not our, 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 our mom or dads or our buddies from back when. We're, here, we're ready to hear new voices. And when those new voices speak to us, we're able to accept the message. You know, it's like, um, trying to think of an example, like um, one of the big things I learned from Epo was to plan. Like, you know, people had told, I could just always wing stuff and get away from it because I had the ability or the charm. But after a while, the ability and the charm doesn't last. So as you become a young man, as an adult, as somebody in your family, you have to plan. So um, when I started hanging out with Epo, I always watched how he packed his truck and what he did with the back space in terms of his gear. And how he would prepare the night before and how he would place things. And I never got that growing up. I mean, my dad was an organized dude, but, but I just never saw that dimension of a man. So that was one of his great gifts to me. So I've been able to do that, but I could have never received that message from my own father. It took another man saying, David, dude, what's up? And really not him having to say a whole lot, but just showing me. This is how you prepare and plan. And I've been able to take that throughout the other areas of my life. But it was just, I was ready to hear the voice and receive the message in the context of a larger group of men who were guided by a mission where I felt safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, tell That's me where that happens these days. I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. It doesn't happen at the bar. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen at those dad birthday parties, whatever that crap is. You're going with your kid at the roller rink or the bowling alley. Um, and I'm not saying those guys you can't do it with, but it's a lot easier doing it when the man across from you is an F3 man. And you mm -hmm. wish you could bring those dudes at the roller rink and the bowling alley in. I mean, we had a guy cornered at the park yesterday, getting up as early for him. It's like, all right, dude, do it for 30 days. It gets easier. But you want to bring those guys in. But, you know, not every, you know, F3 doesn't appeal to every dude. And that's one thing you need to learn as an F3 man too, is you can't expect to headlock everybody and for them to, to, to be reciprocally enthusiastic and come into the fold. Um, so, but, but, you know, being able to, um, you know, again, voice message, um, mission and culture, um, to hear what you need to hear, um, in, in this context. And, and that makes you a better man. That's awesome. Well, Hoff, thank you very much for sharing that with us, man. That's that's just an in incredible amount of stuff <laughs> to digest there. So, hey, let me share one little anecdote with you. Good. Um, I know you got a, you got kind of our outro with what's your advice, but so um, so here's the picture. So I mentioned Epo back in the day when our kids were going to the same elementary school, and we were kind of doing the, you know giving one another the the once over the look up and down we planned a run it was on a on a on a very cold winter afternoon we were going to go from town out to his place to carolina beach you know what are, what are, what's that western where you hear that little you know whatever that thing is in the background it's like woo, woo, woo. so we're kind of trying to get to know one another right like guys do right so we start off and we couldn't be more ourselves. Like Epo is squared away. He's been training. He's got it. He's, he just knows he's going to do this. Like, I think we're going for like 18 miles or something like that. Hoff shows up, half bottle of water, maybe a half a goo. Um, <laughs> maybe, I mean, I think I've got some tights on. 
Maybe I've got, maybe I'm wearing a shirt, whatever, but I'm just clearly not prepared. I'm going to wing this one because I can't, because I'm the Hoff. So we start down the road and it's getting colder and it's getting darker and we're running and we're getting to know one another. Um, you know, I'm kind of beating my chest at times. Uh, Dave's been very patient with me. He knows what's going to happen. He knows my type, which I look back now and I laugh. So we get probably about three quarters into the run and I start just to peter out. Like I got nothing. Like I'm trying to get to his house downrange because that's where we're going. So we start to snake our way through his neighborhood to come in through the backside. So he's, he's a nurse. He's a nurse practitioner. So he does what he does best. He starts to nurse. So he's trying to, you know, hydrate me. Here's some food. You're an idiot, but I'm still going to get you back to my place. So we get there. I am gray. I have no more water. I have no more goo. I got nothing. And I'm on the floor and I'm kind of twitching a little bit. So Dave calls wife, Julie, who he doesn't really know and says, I have your husband here on my kitchen floor. And he's pretty much doing the kicking chicken. He does not look good. So, and, and Karen, Dave's wife is hovering over me too. And so my wife says, put him in a hot bath. He'll be okay in about a half hour. <laughs> She's seen me do this before. So Dave goes upstairs and draws my bath water, a hot bath. Next picture, Dave is lifting me up a couple flights of stairs. Now Dave has met me like two or three times. He's carrying me upstairs and he puts me in the hot bath. <laughs> I start to recover I think I might have even asked, like, do you have any shampoo, maybe some soap? Dave's going back and forth, getting all this stuff for the Hoff in the bathtub, right? I'm getting my color back. Dave comes back in, man. He's got some sweats for me. So I'm like, hey, dude, do you have some hot tea or something? Dave goes and gets the hot tea. Um, and then he pretty much pours me into his car and takes me home in his sweats, after he's basically bathed me and fed me and make sure I'm okay. <laughs> and now he's taxing me home. So I don't know, man, it was weird, but I think that's where we bonded and we would knew we'd, we'd be good, good, good friends for life and good F3 friends. But it's just interesting to look back and say that same care he extended me, albeit under some weird circumstances, is that same standard of care he extends to me today. And I think, that same standard of care that's available to all F3 men. Maybe not the whole nakedness bath thing, but that guys can extend to each other, um, you know, in, in the community we have, that there's sincere care um, and, and, and good intentions. So um, yeah, that's, that's my story with Epo. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, ask him about it. You got to ask him. Dave's kind of quiet, but just ask him about it. He'll, he'll, he'll grin and, and he'll want to tell you more about it. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I, I had to, yeah, I almost, man. I almost had to wonder if I needed to put myself on mute there because I, <laughs> I was, I was, I was holding it all together, man, just to not, not lose it during your story. Well, next time we ask him, you have some mint tea <laughs> and maybe a facial. You better get that shit in the bathroom right here. Now chop, chop, Dave. <laughs> Apparently the service has gone down here since I was here a couple of years ago. <laughs> Should be ashamed of yourself. Four stars could be a damn break. <laughs> so anyway, man, yeah, we. I mean, and that's the fun, like, dude. We just go back and forth like that. I mean, that's part of gl the gloom too, is showing up and waiting for some dude to say something to some other dude. It's just to like, funny, not not malevolent, not mean, but like, where is this conversation going to go? I mean, you know, it's just like, it's just good living, man. It's good fun. So. And it's what guys need to be doing. There's a lot of alternatives, but this is this is the best one. That's awesome. So, Hoff, do you have any have any closing thoughts for the packs before we wrap it up? Yeah, I would just say be vulnerable, um, be authentic, um, be who you are, um, open up your heart, um, and just you know, you be you. Um, and the guys are going to love you and respect you for that, um, because I think that's what we ask of of of, of each other. Um, and we really can't get to know one one another in a way that is uh, complementary of the F3 mission unless we let that guard down. Um, so, so take a chance. 
you know, as my good friend, Sir Mick says, run fast, take chances. So, um, I go with that. All right. Well, if guys want to get in touch with you, what is the best method for them to do that? Oh Lord, I'm kind of a Luddite. Um, I love letters. 4109 Connor Court, C-O-N-N-E-R Court 28412. Ring me up 910-233-3115. Um, social media and that stuff makes me anxious. So I kind of try to stay off the, the uh, interweb. Um, but yeah, phone, letter, come on down and post. Uh, I'm better in person. Um, so those are probably the, the three three ways, best ways. Awesome. Well, Hoff, thanks very much again for being on the podcast, man. This was an absolute blast. You got it, brother. Well done. Great questions. Great format. This is a real ministry for F3. And however, I can continue to help you um, to do that and keep this going. Let me know. Amen. All right, man. Well, guys, thanks again for listening. This is episode 34 with the Hoff. Stay sharp. We'll see you in the gloom. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Yammer. If you're interested in sharing your F3 story, reach out to us at f3americanyammer at gmail.com. Again, that's f3americanyammer at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at f3americanyammer. Until next time, stay sharp, and we'll see you in the group.